on this week in sales, we're going to be taking a look at all of the tech companies getting the funding because this market is absolutely booming right now. Chorus.ai doing conversational intelligence within Zoom meetings. If this is the end of the traveling salesman and much, much more. My name is Will Barron. I'm the founder of salesman.org and joining me, the peanut to my butter, Victor <laughs> freaking Antonio, sales legend. Victor, how's you it going? Dude, you broke me within the first couple of minutes. Love it. The peanut to my butter. What the hell, Will? That just came out. But that, I could do that every week from now on. Every single week, there's going to be the... the I'm going to talk to your partner. There. I'm going to talk to your partner, oh. dear Emily. He just called me the peanut to his butter. There's something wrong with this relationship. <laughs> it's, it's, we're, uh, we're getting too close, Victor. I think that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. All is good. Uh, how are you doing, Will? I am very good. Uh, I don't know if we can see it on camera right now. I will will lighten the mood slightly. I don't think I've got sweaty pit marks at the moment. Maybe a little bit. A little um, bit, a little bit. It will be fully drenched in about 35 minutes from now. I've literally just put this shirt on. We're in the middle, Victor of a heat wave. And as we discussed before we clicked record, it's not actually a heat wave at all. It's just the UK. Uh, we're just not used to this. We're not used to this weather, mate. For us in the US here, he's about 80 degrees Fahrenheit and he's whining about that. But again, to your point, you don't have air conditioning. Nope. No Something air conditioning. we take for granted. And I've got the, because we're recording from home, for anyone who's listening to this on audio, I'm recording from home anyway, rather than the studio. I've got the window shut so the neighbors don't think I'm a complete idiot just shouting and screaming at you on, on webcam here today, Victor. So uh, it's just going to get hotter and hotter and hotter as this show goes on. And with that, Victor, how about this transition? The sales technology market is getting hot right now. Let's jump into the first topic. This is uh, from techcrunch.com. Outplay gets 7.3 million in investment from Sequota Capital India to help outbound sales teams scale their campaigns. New Capital is going to go into tech development and hiring. Of course it is. That's what all these tech companies are uh, pushing for at the moment. That's why they need the funding. And they had previously another 2 million um, in March. So they're, they're rapidly growing, right? Now, mm -hmm. why this was exciting to me, I thought this was interesting, is this new feature that they're developing called Magic Outbound Chat. This is a web chat box that is launched when a prospective customer clicks on an email link. Salespeople are then notified. I assume it goes to their mobile phone. There must be an app or something like that so they can reply in real time. They're then provided with context about the prospect. And Laxman, who I think is CEO of this organization, um, outplay.com, told TechCrunch that most chat boxes are designed for inbound sales teams. And the magic outbound chat has helped some of its teams grow sales pipeline by 300%. Victor, what do you think about this feature? I think that is an incredible feature and I would implement that myself in a heartbeat. Two things. First of all, it's Sequoia Capital, so nobody gets mad at us. What did Number I say? Number two, Sequota or something. Sequota Capital, Sequoia Capital. Uh, and by the way, I, I, have a, I have a law. I'm making this up on the fly, by the way. I have a new law that any, the law of magic, and anytime you include the word magic in any product feature you offer, it's not gonna go well. For Mr. Laxman, I'm gonna say, or Mrs. Laxman, whoever it is, I'm gonna say, why would you put magic in front of that? It just cheapens the product, man. Can't you just put like something else? But anyway, I, kidding aside, I do love this. Um, I, I like the feature. It's a, it's a mm -hmm. totally different twist. Uh, how do you see them using it? What was, what was the first thought that came to your mind? So very literally verbatim, um, no other reason to use this other than this. Usually a salesperson reaches out and goes, hey, I'd love to do this and this. Here's some value. Here's an insight. If you want to continue this conversation, let's jump on a call. Here's a link to my calendar and you can book a call in there. Well, get rid of that whole step. Just allow the buyer to click a button and jump in, even if it's not with the same salesperson, but someone within the team to immediately have either a text chat or hopefully you can go from text chat and say, hey, we can jump on a quick call now if you like. Um, so you're pushing the, the buying process forward faster. You're reducing you know, time to close. I think that's how it well, that's how I would use it, uh, having not experimented with the product itself. That to me is an absolute no-brainer. And especially, and, and even more so, circumstances are surgeons, they're busy. It's very difficult to book a time in their diary. Well, if they get an email and they can know they can just click and it just essentially does a text chat between me and them. Um, perhaps it just is an app on my phone, just pings me, even if it's six o'clock, as long as I'm not kind of in bed or as long as I'm not in the middle of my tea or something. Um, maybe even like Skype, you could leave a status on there of, hey, I'm not at the desk right now, but I'll be back in five minutes. That allows salespeople to communicate with buyers on the buyer's time. 
as opposed to this back and forth booking process, which has been made slightly better by things like apps like Calendly and, uh, and other booking apps. Um, but if you can just get rid of that all step together and just start to build momentum faster and faster, rather than letting the buyer sit on the meeting for three days before you can get time in your diary to, where you, or both of your diaries may match up, um, I think that'd be an incredible tool. Yeah, the the big phrase you mentioned is on the buyer's time, mm -hmm. and also you know people are more likely to you know pick up a chat and want to talk as opposed to an actual phone call. So yes. I see that as a big win for them. So uh, I love the, I love the feature. Anyway. Drop the magic though. It's cheesy. <laughs> it smells of salesy, hypey stuff like, hey, today, only today, can you get your magic chatbot? Don't do that. Anyway, let's move over to our friends over at course.ai. They just they just keep moving, man. These guys are like just sharks, not standing still. Course.ai launches conversational intelligence app with Zoom meetings. Do we see where this is going? The integration, again, the mergers, the acquisitions, Course.ai, I love the way a Zoom info company now, uh, and conversational intelligence platform leader for high growth revenue teams today announced the availability of the Course app for Zoom video communications. The new app brings Course uh, conversational intelligence capabilities directly to the Zoom meeting. Uh, I put some highlights here. As an embedded experience with accessible Zoom meetings, and by the way, I want to tie this into my Gong experience that I've been kind of going through lately. But, uh, the course app for Zoom enables revenue teams to be more engaged on the calls, lead to stronger relationships, you know, higher conversion rates. Some highlights here I put. One is live notes, live note taking. Sales teams can't, can craft better action plans by finding their live in-meeting notes attached to the exact points in the conversation. I think that's interesting. Uh, collaborate with other people. I want to hit on the collaboration just a bit. Uh, and the last one is uh, for follow-ups, you can kind of just review the information of the content that was given. All that said, this I think this is a fantastic move to put that actually in, you know, into Zoom. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, because I, I think it's a great idea. There, there are other apps doing live uh, transcription and stuff uh, at the moment as well. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. You can actually use rev.com to have an actual person like live transcribe as if you are selling to people who are hard of hearing perhaps, or you're selling to a buying group and they're all different destinations, perhaps they're not uh, native English speakers. So there are multiple ways to go about this, whether it's automated, which chorus.ai is, or if you want an actual person to do this. Uh, but it, it's clearly the future, right? I love the right. idea that you can have a conversation, it's timestamped, and then you can go back to something that the buyer agreed to at the top of the conversation when you do a... Um, and if this, then that kind of uh, micro close at the beginning of the conversation of, hey, if I can prove this, this, and this, will you sign up today? If I can show you this, this, and this, are you willing to get Barry on the next call? You can now, without, it's it's almost a little bit icky to do that sometimes, to, to do that at the beginning and then come back to it. It's almost like you've set the buyer up. And But if you can say, hey, at the beginning of the conversation, and then you could perhaps scroll to the text and go, oh, you agreed to this. Is that cool if we carry on with this moving forward? It's, mm -hmm. I feel like you're setting less of a trap. Does that make sense? If it seems yeah, less manipulative I, to go, hey, you said this, it was documented, yeah. as opposed to me going, oh, I, I knew you were going to answer this and I've set you up in that way. Yeah, I guess I was looking at it from a different perspective. And by the way, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of apps like Rev.com. I use, for example, otter.ai, mm -hmm. which is integrated into Zoom where you can get the transcription. And so what I've been learning, here's, here's my, my recent finding. Uh, for those of you who didn't listen to our last episode, so I'm working with a fintech company, right, a financial company, and they're starting to use Gong. And they've given me for the first time access to Gong and I can actually go through the actual conversation and actually deconstruct the conversations. By the way, I'm enjoying that, Will. Like taking a conversation, sequencing it on, seeing what they're doing right and wrong. And so this, this intelligence platform, I think goes to the next level of just basic transcriptions. It tries to highlight, you know, talk ratios, keywords, key phrases, so you can identify that. What I found about, I like about the, the tool, and again, it's something that can be easily copied by a lot of companies, is that when you hear something in a conversation, you can mark it, make a note, and then everybody can collaborate on that note. So for example, hey, Will, you use this sequence in the presentation. I think your language was a little off or your tone was a little harsh, right? Everybody who's on that collaborative chat can actually see that and maybe learn from that. And so that's kind of where I see it going. But I got to tell you, though, Will, I am not over the moon yet with Gong yet. I'm not. There, I got to be honest. There goes I'm the sponsorship the right there. Just sponsorship. No, but I'm not. Cash. I'm, I'm willing, but, the business. But, yeah, everything just, just fell honest. apart. No, no, no. I can't. We can't lie to our listeners and viewers. I mean, I just, I'm not over the moon yet. And I'm, But again, I'm only, I'll say a week and a half into it. 
and I see what the, by the way, is it a nice tool to have? Absolutely. Has it, maybe there's another level that I've not seen yet that really allows you to dig through the, the keywords and find the right phrase, whatever it may be. But I can see where some of the basic studies have come from that Zoom has put out, I mean, uh, Gong has put out, but I'm still not over the moon with the company. You know, for, for somebody to be worth 7.45 billion, it must be that I'm just not smart enough to see something that they do. You know what I mean? I, there's something, because it isn't the app. I mean, right now it's not the app. I'll end there. I think you're being, uh, this isn't the right way of describing it. There's a better way of describing it. You're almost disingenuous though to say, I, I don't know what, maybe there's another thing. You're, you're such an expert in this space, Victor, that if you haven't seen the hype, the hype probably isn't there. And it is hype, right? When we talk about valuations, we're not necessarily talking about a company that is doing, um, so like my training company or training company would be valued on turnover, right? Like three to four times of turnover would be the valuation of the organization. A 7 billion valuation for Gong is not based on turnover. It's based on hype, uh, acquisition, chance of going public, mm. right? So that valuation is totally iffy and not uh, something that I would kind of put my hang my hat on. Mm. Um, mm. But if you haven't seen the the... If you haven't seen, I guess what I'm coming back to here is something that we've talked about on the show multiple times, Victor, which I've been pushing, you've been trying to push back on, that this whole AI thing is just, it's not AI, it's machine learning. It's stuff that if you stick enough time at it, you could probably just do yourself. All it's doing is speeding up some basic tasks as opposed to being revolutionary. Well, it's funny because I, I was going to include an article this week in this uh, in uh, this week in sales. By the go, by the way, go to thisweekinsales.com. Leave us your feedback as always. But I was going to include an article in here about the the disappointment they're having with Watson over at IBM, and how they basically tapped out and said they're tapping out and they're saying, okay, we don't have general AI, which is the ability to do all these wonderful things that everybody talks about. We have very specific AI, you know, and that's what you're saying. It's very specific machine learning algorithms that'll solve one specific task. And so, and by the way, so the reason I'm, I'm allowing some ventilation in my opinion of Gong is that I'm wondering if there's an additional service where they run some analytics or some machine learning algorithms on all the conversation. This company is just starting out. So right now they have maybe about, I don't know, I'm gonna say guess 50 conversations with clients. And I'm wondering if there's another level and I'm gonna ask them about that. And so that's the only reason I'm reserving judgment. Am I not seeing something that that is beyond just the basic GUI, the graphic user interface of how it's laid out, which is very nice. Uh, but again, I'm not over the moon on the, on the actual product right now. But again, I'm, I'm open. If Gong is listening, I am open. My friend Amit over there, Chris Orlov, uh, Devin, uh, I'm open to being wrong. Show me something I'm not seeing. But as I work with this company, uh, I'll keep giving you updates on this. Sure. Gong are definitely listening because I've had tons of feedback from Gong and uh, sales reps. Oh, uh, Gong is coming show. after me. Oh, yeah. Gong <laughs> is coming after me. All right, Victor, I'm going to show you. And by the way, I'm open to being shown. So bring it on, Gong. Thisweekinsales.com. Let's do it. <laughs> well, to go from what I what, what we focus on the show mainly, which is technology and tools to focus on what we talk about regularly and what we train on, which is the human element of sales. I thought this was interesting. Sales Impact Academy has received a boost from stage two capital of over 4 million in investment. This comes from siliconangel.com. So Sales Impact Academy is a growing go-to-market learning platform. It's a training product uh, that received a major boost forward today with the announcement that stage two capital will provide 3 million seed rounds and 1 million in debt financing mm. to fund additional educational content. So the platform, if you don't read the, there's one bit in here that I don't need to read, so don't look at the screen yet, Victor. Don't look at it. I can see you looking oh, at the okay. screen. Ignore right, the screen. Okay, I, I've, okay. I've left in a bit of text that I was going to black out because I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. So they've just received $4 million in funding. Um, it's a training product. It looks great. Uh, there's tons of experts on there. There's like Mark Roberge from ex-HubSpot, a bunch of other people that uh, you have at least heard of and uh, you know were well, well respected in the marketplace. Um, and a quote from them. Uh, this is uh, this is from someone at the company. Though this is Mark Roberge himself. He says we've been thinking a lot about the tech sales tech stack. It's evolved a ton in the last couple of decades, but nothing has really happened on the education side, and that's really the enormous gap that we've seen. It's almost like all these companies are reinventing the wheel of looking 
of, of looking in the upcoming year, having dozens of salespeople to hire and trying to put together a sales enablement program within their sales organizations to teach salespeople sales 101. So with that mm -hmm. said, 4 million in funding, these legends within the space within our industry, backing it, being involved. I don't know if Mark is, is an owner or kind of an employee or advisor, however that uh, kind of lines up. 4 million in funding, Victor, how many customers do you think that they have? Oh. Four million funding. How would I do the number? Uh, Five thousand off the top of my head. I'm guessing. So they have 160 customers currently. That was kind of a shock to me when I was reading. What? When I was reading about the the. And, oh, and, I see it down there. 160 yeah. customers. Now, don't get me wrong. It could be IBM with 5,000 salespeople as one of the uh, 160 uh, customers, right? True. It could be that. It could be that. The you know. Here's the interesting thing, and I left an article. I, now, now I'm regretting leaving this article out, but it was talking about that you know there's this overinvestment in enablement technology, and there's not any investment in actual sales training. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get the sales training right, no matter how much enablement technology you give them, yeah. it ain't going anywhere. And so I should have included that. So, but I'll add that. So I can see where he's going. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, the see, I, I will. I get back to it. It's not so much the content. Right. I think sales content, sales training content has exploded online. So I would have to disagree. Yeah, but is it good though? Or is it well, just it? crap? Well, it? But it but it but it but it's subjective. And I, I wanna I wanna stay out of the subjective realm for now. I'm saying that there's there's more providers out there of sales training programs. And I'm just trying to be objective here, sales training programs. So maybe there's, there used to be, let's say a hundred, now there's 10,000. And out of those 10,000, you might be right. 9,000 probably suck. Mm -hmm. I get that, right? But there's some good programs out there. But I get back to the one, two punch here. This is why I think we're missing it. One is, I'm with you, sales training, platforms are needed, better ones and evolving ones. And also figuring out like what you're doing with your selling made simple, I think is brilliant because you're trying to simplify using frameworks to make it easy for the actual learner to absorb the content and retain it, right? But then the second part of that, that we don't often talk about because you can't quantify is the discipline and consistency that's required to be mandated by managers, so to speak, to make sure that these people are actually learning. Because you can put, I can put a sales training platform in front of you, but if the salesperson doesn't want to use it, then it doesn't matter. So I think there's that third component, which is how do we embed consistency, a discipline of consistency with great sales training platforms like yours, and then the actual tech stack. I think that's the trinity right there. So. Let me ask you this, and this is somewhat of a, a loaded question because I know what you're going to say. I'm going to push you down a certain direction after sure. this. How important is technical sales skills versus things like discipline, the ability to not rely on motivation, but to, to, to force discipline on yourself, to live a somewhat healthy life so that you've got the mental energy to crush mm -hmm. it in sales? What is the balance between the two of technical sales skills versus being able to show up every day. Yeah, well, that, that gets back to the whole, <clears throat> excuse me, the skill and will thing, right? The skill is, you know, you technically understand what's going on. The will piece is you actually have the energy to want to do it and want to learn. <clears throat> so there's always that balance. I don't know what the balance is, the ratio is, but I would say that the will piece is much larger than the actual training part, you know, the actual yep. product training. So if I'm doing sales training, right? If I'm a company and I want to uh, do some training on my product, too often, you've seen this, we focus on product training, but we don't focus on, on the will part, which is yeah. how do you keep going? And I've seen I've seen a few companies now integrate a more holistic approach to sales training. They'll talk about food, diet, exercise, meditation. I have one company that does an hour of meditation before they actually do the product training. So I totally agree. And uh, I, shout out to Mark. I was on the SVP of a tech company today who wants to get his team on our training platform, which you can find over at salesman.org, the Salamed Simple Academy. I, I won't plug it too much here, but it kind of proves this point. The whole first week of our training, there's no sales training. It's all about uh, becoming uh, assertive, being able to set goals, being optimistic, um, becoming, even if you're an extrovert, extrovert uh, even if you're introverted, being able to turn on a level of extrovertedness, uh, not being a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And my tiny amount of experience in, in this kind of space, right? Shows that, and not even that, forget experience. And, and we've got tons of data on this. So thousands of people go through our sales code assessment now. So we know what makes, we know the personality traits that make up high-performing salespeople. But even putting all that to one side, 
because uh, you have to believe that we've done the right research and we've had enough people go through and that we've got statistical, um, we've had the, the statistics done to an appropriate level and all that kind of stuff. Put all that to one side. Most salespeople will have experienced being in an organization, someone comes along who's never sold anything in their life. They're just enthusiastic, happy, might be their first sales mm. job, and they come in and smoke everyone. So that just proves the rule. If you've experienced that mm. once, that proves the this idea that all the other stuff that goes along sales, alongside sales, uh, opposite the technical sales skills, can be just as important, if not more important. If you show up every day miserable, pessimistic, you're barely picking up the phone. It doesn't matter how good you, you are on the phone. It doesn't matter how good you are at sending emails, doing the marketing side of things, being a personal brand, all that kind of stuff. If you don't physically do the work, you're going to get outworked. You're going to get outproduced by someone who's going to do the work, right? Yeah. Oh, I, the thing, here's my visual for everything you just said. The, the, all the skills you talked about, the will piece, is almost like the platform. Yep. that you're running on, right? And then the apps that you put on top are the actual, hey, here's how do you do prospecting. Here's the, the prospecting app. Here's the closing app. These are all these apps. But if the platform, the operating system is what you're saying, the basics aren't there, then you know it's not going anywhere. And by the way, big shout out to Mark Roberts. I love his book, Sales Acceleration. Fantastic book. Highly recommend it to anybody. I, I specifically like, I like to be specific when I recommend the book. I like when he tried to understand the characteristics of what makes a great salesperson, how they began to track that when he was building HubSpot. So I really love his book, man. For sure. And, and the reason I, just to circle back to this article, which you can find over at Silicon, mm. a, SiliconAngle.com, uh, which you can also find it this week in sales.com, where we'll have all of the content, all the show notes that we talk about in this episode of the show. What I thought was interesting was we see all these tech companies get funded. I think it's interesting to see. Last week, there was a sales blog, got some seed funding, 300 grand. Yes. Now this yes. organization, an actual sales training organization with uh, different courses, products, and um, like more formal in-person training as well is offered. They've got a, a quite good uh, setup and system there. Four million in funding. Is this the next wave of funding that's going to come, Victor? Will, on the back of our time is coming, <laughs> Will. Our time is coming for major funding. Uh, by the way, it's an interesting shift right because also all of a sudden in this knowledge industry maybe that's being valued more but again i think to your point when you said you know there's a lot of crap content being put out there you're absolutely right it's the ability to find the right content being curated out there for exceptional or excellence that's going to be the challenge okay well let's move on to the next topic and this is in our sales trading news segment here can sales assessments help address high sales turnover? So I want to address this uh, topic with you, Victor from Forbes.com, which you can find over this week in sales, mm -hmm. um, on sales assessments. But there's also a ton of good data points in here that I thought would be interested to run through as well. So this is quoting from the article itself, which you can find over at Forbes.com. Would it surprise you, Victor, would it surprise you to learn that the average turnover rate for salespeople is 34% and that nearly two-thirds of that churn is a result of involuntary turnover. Would that surprise it, you? It does not surprise me because I was on this topic last week. I was <laughs> reading some blog and that's why I kind of know. So I, it wasn't this one, but at that time I was surprised. So yeah, it is. it, it was kind of shocking to see these numbers because that's, uh, by the way, maybe I'm, maybe you'll have it. Oh, you do have it here. So I'll let you keep reading because there's some good data here. You're right. Okay. So so I'll do this. Um, what's the word? I'll do this to the audience as opposed to yourself if you if you know this. Audience, people listening of, uh, from all genders, people, all places, all people locations. People of the world. People of the, people of the sales world. <laughs> Does it surprise you to find out that in a 2015-16 study from a professor at DePaul University, I've never heard of it, found- Yeah, the by the way, Chicago. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let's, let's pause here. That's my hometown there, Chicago. DePaul. Of course, everybody knows DePaul have University. I, have I told you that Chicago's my American- kind of second hometown. Have I told you about I, my long lost uncle? No, you've never told me the story. So I won't go too deep in it. We'll, we'll talk about it off air. Found, turned out um, like maybe 10 years ago, uh, my mom passed away from cancer about five years ago. So five years before that, we mm -hmm. just get an email from some random dude called Jerry in Chicago. He's, he lives in Peoria, um, <laughs> but then he worked yeah. and lived and grew up in Chicago, went to university in Chicago. Um, that he's a long lost uh, brother to my mum, as my mum was only child. She thought she was an only child her whole life. And then Jerry comes along. And um, so we'll talk about it off air because wow. it's an amazing that's, story. It was put up for adoption, great. all kinds of weird Irish nun politics and all kinds of shenanigans going on. 
Um, so we go over to Chicago uh, somewhat regularly to visit uh, my uncle Jerry and, uh, and his family and, and everyone go over there. So shout out to them. They will never listen yeah. to this episode, uh, but shout out to them. Uh, so from DePaul University, which I now know is in Chicago, found that the average cost to replace a salesperson is $97,000. Now this- That's a, By the way, that was the number I was going to ask you about yep. because I didn't know what the actual number was. So $97,000 to replace a salesperson. I think it's higher than that, but go ahead. So that number is broken down into $29,000 acquisition costs. So I assume this is recruiting and all that kind of thing. The average training cost is typically around $36,000. I'd be interested to know how they calculate that because that's clearly time of trainers, uh, product specialists invested into that individual. Um, and that comes to a total of $65,000. So there's a bit of a shortfall. So what makes up the rest? So the rest is made up from lost opportunity and the territory mm -hmm. while someone leaves and your sales manager's got to fill that position. Typically, a sales manager will try and help out in the territory or get the team involved mm -hmm. to, to cover some of the ground, right? But that extra number, that extra gap, I never even considered that before, but that must that must be huge. If you've got a company with 100 sales reps, 1,000 sales reps, and you've got the turnover rate at 34%, as it says in the top of this article, that could be hundreds of thousands, if not millions a year in lost revenue just from the time it takes for someone to leave to someone to get hired. Yeah, so, so let me circle back to Gong. I'm gonna tie Gong back into this because one of the things that I think Gong does is that we, we've been talking about that the data is now an asset for a company, right? These conversations are becoming assets. And I think that's part of Gong's evaluation that they have all these conversations with. We talked about this last week, I think, about they have all these conversations with all these different people in different organizations. So that's valuable intel. But you know, when a salesperson leaves, they typically, if they don't have Gong course or anything similar to a conversational platform, that information goes with them. And there are the lost opportunities there. So I, I totally agree with that. It's a, it's a fascinating concept. By the way, not only the lost opportunity, that you, you look at, you lost the data, you lost the opportunity, but then sometimes you know how, in your, like in your business, in the medical industry you were in, if you lose a deal, sometimes it doesn't come back for another two years. Yep. And that's a bigger impact. And look, I went from, uh, there's two players in the endoscopy market. Unfortunately, I'm at home for everyone listening on the audio. So I can't pull out an endoscope Not this week, Victor. good. Thank you very um, much. Thank you very much. There's, there's no endoscopes at home. They're only in the office. So I appreciate it. The audience appreciates it. We all appreciate I, it. I went from the market leader to the other market leader. And I took a whole custom, bunch of customers over with me. And I moved from one mm. end of the country to the other end of the country. So you're not just losing buyers from time. If salespeople are doing their jobs right, they're building a personal brand. If they're becoming an expert in their space, which we bang on about all the time in both our trainings, both in This Week in Sales, on our YouTube platforms, and in our paid training as well, right? If you're doing all that stuff, the the, the managers, the organizations, they're losing a lot more than just uh, kind of time not in the field. They're losing all that as well. So yeah, anything where they can build assets, build IP out of... Well, let me, it's, it is a good question, if I do say so myself. What is the you, ethics you of, did. <laughs> of recording a call, of recording five years of calls, from someone and then reusing that in, in the future within your organization. Does the organization you're selling for own every piece of IP content, uh, everything that you do when you're working in those hours, or is there a bit of a gray area between what they own and what is, what is you? I don't think there's a gray area. I think if you work for a company and you use their tools and their platforms, it's their content, it's their IP, I think. I think it's pretty cut and dry. So, I mean, at what at what time? I mean, what would be the counter argument to that? How would I argue that it is mine? So let's put a pin in that for a second. But let's let's project two or three years into the future, where we can now replicate people's voices. Perhaps we've got Google Duplex on the scene booking meetings. Mm. What's to stop then mm. if that company owns that data, that IP, those conversations, everything that you were doing? whilst you were working for the organization between nine to five or whatever your work hours are, what's to stop them then going, okay, well now I'm going to just replicate Will. He's left the company. I'm going to replicate him in Google duplex form. He's going to be the SDR and represent the company. Cause I own Absolutely. all the data. I own the content. Do I, do I own his voice as well? That is, that is quite a, an interesting question. It's a great question. Will, because you know, we talked, I think you, you had an article last week on an avatar for a salesperson, mm -hmm. right? So fast forward five, 10 years from now, you can replicate a will, the voice, the intonation yep. based on the IP that you have. 
And it's almost like, you know, it's like if I were to replicate, let's say, Michael Jackson in, you know, in, in, a, in a video or just, yeah, an animation and put him on my website. I don't think I can do that. Nope. So can they do that with your, can they use your avatar? Yeah. And look, you know, and I'm, 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 I'm going from one company to another. I'm going to be competing against myself. Right. <laughs> Think of the confusion in the buy marketplace. Oh, yeah, Will Barron just called me. I was like, I no, didn't call you. The yeah, other Will Barron called a, me. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. It's like it's a, it's like Gemini, man. There's two of them, right? There's two of them. So that is interesting, though, right? Because in other words, simplified, is that do they own your persona as well would be the question. I think that that's really interesting, man. And let me, uh, we won't go any deep in this because it's probably a conversation for yeah, Culture Corner yeah. uh, to, to go to go down yeah. that route. So we'll, we'll do that another time. But there's so many weird ethical implications of, of yes. storing all of this data, <laughs> never mind in the workplace, outside of the workplace, because everything you posted on Facebook, YouTube, you don't own that anymore. Legally uh, or you know, gray area wise, of people can strip it, repurpose it, reuse it. Um, so we're living in some weird times. I think all this is going to come to a head at some point in the future. I think so. I think so. Now, you had a question here. Oh, so <laughs> thank you, Victor, pulling us back on track. So the this article, even though just, we've not talked about it at all, was based around using sales assessments to reduce turnover, to help sales managers pick and choose better candidates who are more likely to be in a job for a longer period of time or more likely to be more successful in a sales role. Victor, what's your thoughts on sales candidate assessments, the effectiveness of them, and is that a tool that we should all be using or all selling, selling sales hiring managers should be using? It's almost, so it's, this is interesting. The, the irony is, is embedded in here is that we use sales techniques to qualify people to see if they're the right customer. So basically we're saying the same thing here. We're trying to qualify salespeople to see if they belong in our company. And like anything else, yes, the answer is, I do believe in sales assessment, but I, I think there should be an iterative process where you know, then we track them for the next six months and we figure out, you know, where they're at. Uh, I don't know if I told you a while ago, a while ago, I mentioned that I interviewed, I can't remember the company's name, I think it was people.ai, where they were able to tell within 19 days based on their behaviors, the salesperson's behavior, whether they were going to make it or not. And so if we can kind of feed back some of that data, once we hire them, feed that back into the assessment and it does become something static, then I would agree that sales assessments are valuable. Sure. This is where it all gets a little bit squarely, squarely when you go just for data, because it's very difficult to predict that you've just had a loved one passed away. You mm. have ha just come back from being really ill with COVID, whatever mm -hmm. it is, the 19 day period, it can be massively skewed by human. Um, you talked about this on a, on a show in the past, things that are predictably unpredictable. Mm -hmm. I think that's the right terminology of we all, the next 10 years, all of us are going to have a cold and have a few off weeks, right? It's unpredictable when it's going to happen, but it's predictable that it will happen at some point. So that's my only uh, query with assessments and things of that nature. Coming from an organization, Salesman.org, that has an assessment, right? We know that if you do the assessment three days in a row, you're going to get slightly different results because one day you're tired, one day your cat's just got run over, the other day you're feeling great. So you've got to put yeah. uh, you, you, you've got to be slightly skeptical about some of these assessment results. I feel. I agree. But by, by the way, I, I've taken assessments and I failed, and people still hired me, and I was successful. Sure. You know, and it's only later I found out you really screwed up your assessment, <laughs> didn't you? I'm like, I, I, I hate assessments. I personally hate them. I I think what's interesting is that what we're seeing, Will, is that especially in this market, we're seeing a lot of turnover, which you already mentioned, right? Uh, the cost of training continues to go up especially as they're building out all these different technology stacks, right? Because that's just more training on top yeah. of that. So I think, you know, qualifying the front end, so to speak, on the hiring side is going to become more and more important over time. And then the retention piece, how do you keep them in? And that, that that's a big conversation right there. How do you retain them once they're in? I think these are the, I think this is the new advantages people, companies are going to look for is how do we hire the best? But more importantly, how do we keep them? On that note, Corporate Vision launches a new sales engagement service solution for expanding inside selling teams. So Corporate Vision adds implementation services and expands content offering to include, include creating and certifying custom cadences and sales plays to ensure impact 
of technology investments. This, I think, is really interesting from our folks over at Corporate Visions because basically what they're saying is, look, you guys are buying a lot of stuff, or as you would say, a lot of shite, and maybe you're not implementing correctly. And then again, I like what Tim Reister, or Chief Strategy Officer, Corporate Visions, big shout out to Tim. Uh, he, uh, I quote him, buy the technology will help you automate more consistent and persistent touches with prospects and customers, but technology alone won't give you the right messaging, content assets, or essential skills training to make your investment successful. I think he nailed it on that one, man. For sure. I, I just feel I've got no data on this. It's a gut feeling. I feel like the market mm. has been flooded with hype, with because I love technology, right? I love uh, mm -hmm. fooling around with computers, Macs, building stuff, stripping it down, the studio stuff. I, I love messing around with technology. But at a certain point, the difficult bit is getting humans trained. The difficult bit isn't the technology anymore. Technology can be replicated. It can be, the, the price can be sunk down very quickly when you've got two or three competitors going at it because you can do copy products. Software is not difficult to build anymore like it was 20 years ago. Um, it's not difficult to host it. The mm -hmm. issue is, the person using it. There's probably some uh, metaphor there of, oh, uh, pay peanuts, get monkeys, that kind of thing. Yeah. Right? You can spend yeah, all yeah. your money on sales technology. If you don't hire, if you don't promote, if you don't train, if you don't pay well the salespeople, it's all going to go to, as you lovely put it, uh, it's all going to go to shite. Yeah. And by the way, it all keeps coming back to, you're highlighting an important, simple point here. It keeps coming back to getting them to use it. Because you, as you said, I think it's, it's, cool that you highlighted this is that the technology is getting simpler to use. The graphic user interfaces are getting simpler to use. So the tools, I mean, they're reducing the amount of friction it takes to actually learn the product. But again, that will of wanting to use it is still there, which gets back to the operating system of the soft skills and people knowing that. So, so this, anyway, this I, is something I that we that. could we can perhaps do between us, Victor. I will make a note of this. We can do it in the not too distant mm. future. We should poll our audiences on how, what they have in their sales stack technology they have, and then the technology that they use, and then how frequently they use it. Because no big tech vendor is ever going to do this, because it's going to show that the, oh, that the yeah, customers that's, that's buying the product are not using it or leveraging it, uh, either frequently or appropriately or effectively. Whereas we could do this from a perspective of we're not going to be biased in our, in our results, right? So that would be an interesting oh. mini study to do. Corporate yeah. Visions could do this as well. Um, By the way, we, we should ask people, go to thisweekinsales.com and just list your technology stack and then put a percentage on how much you use mm -hmm. each of those pieces on a daily basis or a weekly basis. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that'd be interesting data to, to see because we're banging on about all these technology companies, the funding, and this is all the exciting stuff. We're adding to the hype machine here and it could be that, well, no one really cares. The, 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 like me, I, I won't add you to this group here, Victor, but you, you're probably part of it. This like knuckle-dragging, ape-like salesperson that which is which is me, how I describe myself, right? I've got a quota. If I don't hit our quota for salesman.org, nobody gets fed. I'm the only person selling in the organization, right? Um, so I'm I'm part of this knuckle dragging group. I don't want to use all this technology. I don't want to faff around with stuff. I want to get people on the phone. I want to generate inbound leads. I want to get people on the phone. I want to have a great conversation with them. I want to be positioned as an expert in the space. I want to close them. I want to onboard them. I don't need all that much technology. Um, someone using mm. Gong to help help me. My closing rates are pretty good. I don't know if it would be worth the time, energy, resources. I'm happy to be proven wrong. But at some point, you just need to do the actual job. By the way, the fact that you're a self-admitted Luddite <laughs> is interesting, right? Just want to reject technology, which brings me to the next point in our story here, that maybe that's why the next article is about the end of the traveling salesman. COVID's permanent transformation of the sales industry, right? Kristen Hersett, according to a recent Forrester report, I quote, the events of 2020 have cemented the digitization of B2B buying and selling process. In short, many sales professionals around the world may be permanently grounded, Will Barron. According to a survey of over 750 plus sales professionals during Q1 of 2020, uh, here's some stats. Less than 6% of those surveys were taking in-person meetings at the time of the survey. And over 60% of the respondents indicated that they wouldn't resume, would not resume in-person meetings until the fourth, fourth quarter of this year or 2022. Let me just stop on that stat. What do you think, my knuckle-dragging friend? 
I think this could flip around very quick. So we've just gone in England. I think it's England, Wales, and maybe Ireland, but not Scotland, have just had what we've called Freedom Day, just happened this Monday. Basically, nothing's changed. You just don't have to self-isolate. I mean, you still have to self-isolate. I, like, I, like, I like when they make shit up like that. Yeah. Hey, Freedom Day, oh, what does it mean? Bor- uh, I don't know. So, so I love <laughs> Boris. Boris is a knuckle dragger like a lot of us. In yeah, fact, no, he's not. Uh, Boris is a highly educated, Boris Johnson, yeah, Prime Minister, yeah, yeah. highly educated, very intelligent person. He puts on this appearance of being a blundering, knuckle-dragging fool. But it, 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 that, that's something he's putting on. But Boris, for example, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sidestrack this point because I'm conscious of time. <laughs> but we've just had this freedom day. We've just opened up, I think, within a month or two from now, depending on, this is a conversation for another time for you and I, Victor, depending on whether they roll out this COVID passport that they're trying to push for for events you've got to be able to show that you've had the vaccine all this kind of stuff there's weird moral implications that we can talk about another time on Mm -hmm. all of that but with that said if all that falls apart which it probably Mm -hmm. will do because nobody's doing track and trace in the uk it's all just gone to the wayside if all that falls apart if people stop wearing masks if life goes back to normal the best it can people are going to start traveling because you're going to be doing a deal i'm going to be trying to do a deal if i fly out to meet the buyer and I've got more chance of getting the deal done, and it's a two grand flight, and it's a $5 million deal, you're going to do it, aren't you? At, at some, the way, at some I'm, point, I'm the market it. economics pushes that way. Yeah, we're seeing it here in the US. I mean, we're a little ahead of you right now, and we're seeing it already. People want the in-person meetings. Mm-hmm. They're, they're wanting that. It's like everybody's, there's this hunger for it again. Uh, I wanted to like ask you about this stat. I thought it was interesting. The challenge and this is why I, I truly agree with what you're saying, is 42% of survey respondents indicated that chur- customer churn from organizations impacted by COVID was the biggest challenge facing their revenue team. And I understood that as saying, hey, not only within our organizations do we have churn, but even the or- other, you know, our customers are also churning as well. So there's a lot of opportunities. In other words, it's like the globe when you mix it up and a little snow starts floating. I think that's kind of where we're at right now. I'm, I'm praying it's like that now, yeah. Victor. We're just yeah. about to launch uh, uh, an ad campaign that pushes from an ad to a training uh, video from, from myself, which then gives you uh, an offer, a discount on our training product, right? I'm praying that the market is just so messed up, so scuppered, so backwards and on its head that there's tons of opportunity <laughs> there. I'm hoping that during COVID, a lot of organizations, especially, uh, mm-hmm. which is better for us, bigger organizations went, okay, we don't need sales training right now. That is the least of our worries. Let's get this off the, the balance sheet. We'll come and revisit it in 12 months from now. I'm hoping that that's happened because that is massive opportunity for anyone who's willing to push forward and, and do some outbound and do some competitor takeovers within the market. This this should be exciting for everyone, right? I think it is. I think in, in your advertisement, you know, I think you, the challenge you're going to face, we talked about it already, is that, you know, again, there's so much noise out there, Will. Like there's so many people offering sales training platforms or different types of platforms. I see it every day. You know when the market's oversaturated? Here's when you can tell when the market's oversaturated. Many people years ago, uh, two years ago, probably didn't know what a learning management system was. Now everybody knows what an LMS is, right? Mm-hmm. And then everybody starts building their courses. And then you see what I call the profit pimps. The profit pimps come out and these are the pimps that actually say, hey, let me show you how you can build a course in 24 hours. And you're like, really? Or how you can, you know, uh, build a massive income by, you know, claiming a domain niche, an expert, at, for example, sales training and build a sales training empire. So you're starting to see the profit pimps come out. And that's when you know that, again, it's oversaturated too many people. I think I think all that's going to flip on its head as well of um, is it the intelligent investor like Warren Buffett's, uh, Warren Buffett's like Bible that he does all his investment on this idea of value investing? Is that correct? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So there's a book called The Intelligent Investor. I highly recommend it. And it's about okay. investing. It's called value investing. It's investing in companies long-term that you believe are good businesses, as opposed to, for example, investing in Zoom during the pandemic, because you know video calls are on the rise and then trying to sell it at the, the, the peak and then reset over. This is what Warren Buffett bases the whole of his Berkshire Hathaway um, investment management company on of Apple have a great brand. We're going to invest in them for the next 20 years. And now he owns like 20% of Apple. And he only goes after organizations that have value, that give value to a marketplace. I see this sh- shenanigans that we see right now. You and I uh, kind of in the, see it's 
probably more clear than perhaps some of the audience do, where there's 20,000 sales trainers all of a sudden, where there are millions of podcasts, sales training podcasts out there, sales podcasts. The market always lands on value. Everyone else eventually will die out and there'll be three training companies that during this mix up will come and bubble to the top because they've offered value as opposed to fly by night people who done what you've just said, which they've bought a course for three grand that teaches them how to become known in your industry and build a product and sell it. And you, you do the course, it comes out of a crappy product and it all falls apart. That's, that is the industry right now. That is the sales training market. There's a bunch of um, large training organizations, Sandler, for example. I love a lot, a lot of the Sandler stuff, Corporate Visions. We talk about them regularly on this show. They do great work as well, tons of great research. So there's a few that are at the top and probably will stay at the top. But right now, there's, there's a bubbling up of all these brands, individuals, people. Uh, there's a lot of people that have been laid off from their sales jobs and they go, okay, what else can I do? I'll do some consulting, I'll do some training. All that disappears in the next five years. We're going to reset, go back to just uh, the companies that the market values being at the top. And I think that's going to, that, it's cyclical, right? But that's going to happen. I can't remember the point of trying to make there, Victor. I don't know. That was, that was kind of a long <laughs> rant on value on, on Warren Buffett. But your point is well taken in terms of there are a lot of people in the market. Eventually, it'll fail. The, the, the problem that is, is that consumers have a hard time curating what's good and what's yeah. not good. And then it creates this sour note amongst buyers that, you know, they're like, well, I bought this before and that didn't work. So you know what? I'm not going to invest anymore. And I, I'm hoping to avoid that mindset. But anyway. That's where I was going with this. This is exactly the same for the hype in the sales technology market. Eventually, the hype's going to dissipate. These elevations are going to slow down. And eventually, oh, we'll know who is delivering because they'll be the only company surviving. Because right now, uh, I don't know this to be true. Perhaps, like we won't say gong. That's where I was going to go down the route of. But uh, Will Baron.ai, this conversational intelligence tool, it's got a $20 billion valuation. I want to check it out because it's got a $20 billion valuation. There's tons of people on the platform. It looks like it's doing loads of killer stuff. Eventually, all that will wind down because the market turns to value. So mm. uh, that, that's that's where I was going with this because we talk about yeah, all this stuff no. every week. This time You're next right. year, in two years from now, this show is going to look different because all that won't be in play anymore. We'll find out. We'll find out who's hype and who was real. We're going to find that out real quick. Hype well, real or quick, shite. Yeah. That's what we'll do. That'll be a feature. Oh, hi. <laughs> I love that. Hype for shite, man. All right, close us out with this last topic here, Will. We'll close out this last topic because my friend who's coming visiting is uh, ringing the doorbell right now. So we'll wrap up with this one. Victor, question for you. Well, mm. two questions. Are you going to watch the Olympics? I Okay, full confession here. Just total full confession here. Like yesterday, something came up on my screen that said uh, Olympics in Japan. And I go, and I looked at my wife, I go, are the Olympics this year? I mean, <laughs> I literally said that. I'm so like done with TV and news, man. I, I literally just found out like yesterday. And I, I should have had clues because I've heard little things here and there, but I just never really locked in until I saw this thing. Oh, it was on it was on Net Netflix when you opened it up and it had something about the Olympics. And I'm like, oh, is it this year? And I'm like, yeah. So there's your answer to my question. So, but if I was interested <laughs> in the Olympics, who would, what would I be interested in? I would probably be interested in probably the basketball. Obviously, basketball would be mine. Sure. So I always watch the basketball. I've watched the basketball. I can't remember they called it something. It's like the dream team or the all-star team. I've watched the basketball, the Olympics ever since all the US NBA players all stayed on an aircraft carrier because they were so concerned about getting mugged, bombed, and uh, otherwise kind of tortured <laughs> and wherever it was. I can't remember what year it was or the location. I don't remember that. It wasn't yeah. the dream team. Though. It wasn't the dream team with Michael Jordan. It wasn't them. I remember that because well, I, well, I saw the documentary. Sure. Whatever year it was, they stayed on an aircraft carrier. And I was like, that is That's insane. Fun. Considering the Olympics yeah. is supposed to be amateurs, right? Yeah. yeah. And considering that, you know, well, you know how our gun laws are here. So <laughs> so I'm looking but forward I, to, for anyone who is unfamiliar with the Olympics. There's a can I guess? Ones. Can I guess? You can guess, but you've also probably just seen what I've listed in the doc as well, right? No, I was going to pick the one that you, I'm, I'm picking your primary one. Okay. 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 Go for it. I didn't know, know if they were in order of importance. Nope. No but order. I'm, but I'm... So, but I'm going to assume that because you're a martial arts fanatic, judo would be your number one. No, it's definitely street skateboarded. Really? Okay. Yeah, so yeah totally missed that one. Uh, judo is yeah, pretty I would... good. Uh, judo is good, but it can be a bit hit or miss. In judo, you can do a bit of, you know, a bit, it's, it can be a bit patty cakey. And then in the third. <laughs> 
in, in the third minute of like the, the, way, the, the, the fifth visual. fight, someone gets wait, thrown wait, wait, wait. on their head. The the visual of judo patty caking is hilarious to me. So it's like so when <laughs> anyone who's trained uh, judo Brazilian jiu jitsu, you'll know this. Once someone gets hold of your collar, like the lapel yeah. on the dressing yeah. gown that you're wearing, yep. yeah, you're, you're knackered. Going over. You need to get rid of it. You need to strip that grip immediately. So what happens is someone grips, strips, grips, strips, and then once you get one good grip, then and you can't get rid of it, then the the action's on. So it can be a little bit back and yeah. forth. Sometimes okay. it can be a bit boring. Um, <laughs> the kick. women in particular can be great at judo as well. They tend to be more flexible. There's uh, there's probably more big slams and big throws in the male judo. But in the women, they can be even more technical uh, on occasion uh, because right. they're just more flexible. Same in Brazilian yeah. Jiu-Jitsu. Women can do stuff that men physically can't. They men typically be uh, a big, like, I didn't know that. big hairy brutes kind of thing where the women are still strong as shit. But uh, again, that flexibility makes a massive difference. And uh, But yeah, street skateboarding. Uh, what I'm interested in, Victor, judo, street skateboarding, trap shooting, BMX park, basketball, and then, of course, the crown jewels of the Olympics, right? 100-meter final. Hey, by the way, should should they have like a UFC Olympic sport? Like, uh, you know, mixed so martial mixed... arts, like, yeah, like mixed martial arts just in octagon, you know, I think that would be great. The, the problem with that is, and this is an ethical debate with the Olympics in general, the Olympic mm. organization is basically just taking advantage of all these amateurs, making hundreds of millions of dollars a year and putting on a show where no one gets paid and it's like hey come you know come do the boxing come get beat up for three fights 27 fights to get to the olympics it's all amateur you're not going to get paid maybe you'll get a sponsorship deal at the back of it and we'll make all the money so i don't know when you get into things like mma if people are legitimately willing to put their life on the line mm-hmm. to fight in the olympics without getting a, a massive payday so it, you yeah. might get you might get crappy people fighting but you, but you have a lot of people who are not within the UFC yet, who have not made it to the professional level, who are still amateurs, might be interesting. I don't know. I think it might be interesting. Like, I, I always thought Muay Thai would be great to have in the Olympics, but that's just me. Sure. I've got I'll, one I'll, final question, Victor, to wrap up the show, mate. This is something I've been pondering, and I've been asking oh, many oh, people crap. this question since the Olympics have been on my radar the last few weeks. Oh, oh crap. So I want, you to, I want you to make an assumption, and then I'm going to ask you a question. So in the original Greek Olympics, mm. that's basically nothing like the modern Olympics, but let's assume that they're somewhat similar at this moment's time. In the original Greek Olympics, they did most sports naked. What do you think would be the most uncomfortable sport to do naked at the modern Olympics? Pole vaulting. <laughs> <laughs> Pole vaulting. My one, too much, in, too much information, too much, too much visual information. <laughs> my one is the male, the male hurdles. Oh, that one too. Good God. There'll be some weird, there'll be some like weird, like just slapping noises every every 15 foot. That's that's the one I thought. Or if you look at the Winter Olympics, imagine doing, I can't remember what it's called. You're like like officially sick, Will. When they do like this, when they do the ski jump, they're just flying through the air. You got your tackle I, spinning I, I, around. Like, why? Where, where did that come from? Like, why would you even insert that into this conversation on this week in sales? By the way, out of curiosity, go to thisweekinsales.com and answer that question we'll just pose. What would be the most? Would you? How'd you phrase it? The most uncomfortable sport to see someone do naked? Yeah, in the Olympics specifically. We, in the Olympics, we want to know. <laughs> well, there we go. We'll, <laughs> we'll wrap up with there before we lose Victor again to a, another laughing fit. That was Victor Antonio. My name is Will Barron. You can find us both at thisweekinsales.com. And uh, Victor, anything else to wrap up on? Or should we leave it there? That's it. That's it. Let's have a great week. Speak to you next week, guys.